0: Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from?
1: My name is Orla. Um, I'm from Ashburn at the minute, uh, but I kind of grew up everywhere. So we'll <laughs> get
0: into that. <laughs> Tell me, what does that mean you grew up everywhere?
1: So I was born in Ireland. Um, we moved to France when I was about two. My two sisters were born there. And then we went back to Ireland, back to France, back to Ireland. I think back to France again, back to Ireland, then to Wales and then to Ireland.
0: What took you to France?
1: My mum's a chef. Right. So I think it's kind of that classic like French dream of being a chef over there and the food and all this. So um yeah, we moved over there. We found an old run-down place and my dad's a carpenter. So he had the best time doing up all these houses throughout our lives. And um yeah, just bounced back and forth. So what was it like for you? Um the younger years, obviously I don't remember. Like mm. it was just go with the flow, I suppose, you know. Um, as I started to understand things better it got harder though like when it came to moving schools especially and um, moving back to France one of the times was hard because when I was younger it's kind of those kids don't care at that age when you're younger they just don't care who you are and all this stuff they just want to play um but then it got to the age of like eight nine and I couldn't speak their language which was a huge issue um so yeah it, it really differed um French people, French kids are aerosols. so yeah.
0: No offence to French, but yeah, I yeah, think still. No offense, it's like but, when you go to, um, to Paris and you ask a question and they completely ignore you, but or you go and and yeah, it it is, it is it's a you, Yeah, it is a stereotype.
1: In saying that, there was a lot of lovely French people, but mm. the majority weren't the best, and their driving's atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> what about your sisters? Um, sisters, they're, oh God, we're all so different, mm-hmm. so different, so my sisters there's 18 months between them and between so there's myself uh, orla who was born 2001 mm. freya was born 2004 and ava was born in 2005 mm. so they're so close now so growing up it was kind of those two together mm. um and i was kind of i thought i was outcast but you know they yeah. were playing barbies it was the two of them it wasn't me yeah um they are fairly resilient. When we went to France, they made friends very quickly. Freya was very popular in school, like very popular. Um, so when we had to move to Wales, she was heartbroken because she had she was so settled. Um, but moving to Wales gave Ava a huge amount of confidence because she turned into the popular girl mm. and everyone wanted to know what Ava was doing. Um, Freya made a good group of friends and that was... It was going great, and then when we came here again, it was a new group of friends. They they did struggle. Um, I think the more we get into this, you'll kind of realise there's a bit of blame as well. Um, so, and I don't blame them in the slightest. Um, justified, um, but now it's God. They're so different. Like I'm, I'm definitely a home bird. Like I just want a family, a home to settle down and stay put. Because of all travelling, I just just want to focus on that. Mm. Freya is travel vibey crystals this kind of <laughs> crazy it. doesn't care mm-hmm. kind of person and Ava is a classic like girlo, like the tan mm-hmm. the dresses you know she's she's actually in um, college at the minute uh, horse college so she loves her horses and she just wants to find a farmer and ride horses all day so it's very <laughs> very different people now but we Ooh. get on
0: so tell now. me then about coming home and what that was like for you there's your ritual. There's my yeah. <laughs> I said that, didn't I? That it just it's, it's on every podcast. I don't understand why he goes out and comes back in every time. But go on, tell me. <laughs>
1: um, the last, the the earliest that I can remember, when we came back, I remember driving, and I recognised Ashburn, and I was so surprised that I did. And I don't know why they say I recognised Ashburn, but I knew we were home. Um, we, oh gosh, hang on, so think. The furthest I can remember was actually being in France mm-hmm. um, before all this happened. I don't remember being in Ireland before that. Um, I, oh, no, I do. <laughs> Sorry, this happens That's a, a lot when I'm thinking yeah. about so I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, let me go back, back. Let me think. Talentstown. We were living in Talentstown. I believe this is the earliest I can think of. Um, we were living in Talentstown in a lovely estate. Uh, I was in school. I was in school and it was great my sisters were in a play school and we had a great we, we had a great family life here it was absolutely brilliant um yeah it was just classic like you yeah. think of a stereotypical five-person family it was brilliant mm. like do you know I don't remember anything past school and in the estate and I remember the friends I had at the time I had this friend called Lauren she was brilliant um I actually found her a few years ago and got back in touch but, anyway um so that was good um I don't remember going back to France after that one but I remember coming back home the second time and we were living in the country and there w- we were in this country house this old country house and I remember where there was a bull in the field next to us and Mum used to be terrified of us going out onto the trampoline she was like, there's a bull, the bull's out. She can't go with the balls <laughs> <laughs> It was a big, it was a big thing. Yeah. This bloody bull. <laughs> um, and yet again, it was same thing, just classic five-person mm. family living their lives. Um, when we went back to France that time, I remember we went. mum had us in. And I know this sounds very wrong. Mm. We had we went to private school, mm. <laughs> um, which is nothing wrong. Mm. But I was um, i would have been about seven or eight at that point and i remember going into the classroom and i held onto this teddy that i used to have for dear life i was so scared and Mam sat me down in the classroom and it was all these this was a big classroom There was two different classes in this one classroom it was insane um but mom sat me down and she left and when she left this teacher spoke somewhat english because i didn't have any french at this point mm-hmm. um she had a little bit of English, so she clung to that teacher. Like, of like clumps. she was my mom for that day. Yeah. Um, and the girls were in the play school, in that school as well. And yeah, it kind of got to the point of like, I have to learn the language now, I have to get on with this and whatever else. So I got a hold of the language. Um, but as that was happening, cause I didn't have such fluent French at the time, kids really seen that as an opportunity. Um, and they, they used to say things and I'd be like, what? And they just used to laugh and I'd be like, I was so confused. They just used to laugh in my face. Um, eventually when I did get the language, I think people saw me as an easy target anyway. At that point it was too late, kind mm. of a thing. So when I did get the language and I could understand what they were saying, it was just brutal. Um there was uh, when I went into the next class up, because that's kind of when I became fluent, when I got mm. back to the fluentness of it, um, there was three people in particular girl called chloe a girl called zilly and a boy named hugo and they were ourselves (laughs) um they used just it was just constant name calling and really really mean stuff um at one point he's this hugo boy said something horrible to me and i went home and told mom and she went to the teacher and said you need to move him because we used to be sat next to each other Mm -hmm. so it was very easy target um Used to be sat next to each other so she moved us and about three, four weeks later she moved us back together in the same same table and he stabbed my hand with a sharpened pencil and I had that mark there for like three weeks and the teacher just didn't do anything. Um, Zilly was horrible, she was just evil. I don't know what she's like nowadays but mm-hmm. at the time she was evil. Um, so it got one day, I got up for school and I faked being sick, and it was the first time I'd ever faked being sick. And I think that was kind of like, mom was like, "Oh God, no, this is not normal. Like, you're not going back to that school." So we went to the school that morning, and mom went up to the head teacher, was like, "Orla's leaving. She's not coming back." And she didn't care. She could not care less. And I would have, and even looking back, and like, mom's paying a lot of money for me to be here. Mm. You would think they'd want a bit more, you know, mm. to help us a bit more." but no, anyway, so we left, and I went to the local public school, and shit hit the fucking fan, (laughs) it was so much worse, um, I met a girl called Anissa, was her name, um, and it was just another, like, she just saw me as an easy target all over again, my mum and I used to go and walk the dog, my mum and my sisters, we used to go walk the dog, through the town, and we'd end up on this like trail. And I used to rollerblade um, doing this, and I, I love rollerblading. Mm. Um, but Anissa would be waiting outside her house on rollerblades. But like, we, I, I would have never told her that we're walking, but she'd just be waiting for us to be there, and then she'd come with us, um, which Mam just thought was, you know, cute, you know, she's mm. just waiting for a friend or whatever. Um, and at fir- again, at first it was just a normal friendship, and then it was kind of like, it started to become a thing of like, she'd talk to me when the better people weren't around, mm. um, which was just, it was just horrible. Um, she started calling me names, you know, insults, whatever. Um, she would push me into like trees, she'd pull my hair, that was a classic for her. If I said no to something, or if she didn't like something, she'd just grab my hair and just yank it um which was just not not fun mm-hmm. um so all this happened this was all going on for a long period of time mom kept saying to me you know stay away from her she's rotten just stay away but I didn't have anybody else you know mm-hmm. everyone else in the school did not like me for whatever reason i looking back again i you know I tried to look back and, like, did I do something you know did I say something or whatever and I really really didn't um but Anissa got a boyfriend, and this boyfriend at the time, again, first impressions, great. Mm-hmm. He was lovely. And just so happened he was in my class, because we were in two separate classes of the same year. Um, he was in my class, and one day we got let off break before the other class did. So me and him were in the playground just talking. I can't, couldn't tell you what we were talking about. And I could see Anissa looking out the window and looking at us. It just didn't seem happy, and I was like, oh, shit. I thought my hair was gonna get yanked again Mm -hmm. and when they when she came out she came out with the really popular girls like and I kind of knew instantly I was like oh get away don't even go over there just this is one of her moods and they all came over to me and just started hurling abuse at me like hurling abuse and cornered me like literally into a corner they were it was kind of at an angle and they did a semicircle around. around wow. this. Act. I was cornered. like couldn't move, couldn't leave. Again, just hurling abuse, um, saying that I was trying to steal her boyfriend or whatever, shite. Um, and when the bell rang, so I was kind of leaning against the wall because I didn't have anywhere to go. Well, the bell rang, one of the girls came out from the crowd surrounding me and kicked me in the knee and pushed my knee down and couldn't walk. Um, She'd really, really hurt my knee. And went to the teacher, went to my teacher. He put me in his car and drove me to our house. He literally opened the door, let me out and left. Didn't explain to my parents what had happened. I think, I think my parents just came out because they were like, what is going on? Didn't explain anything that had happened. Didn't explain that I'd been hurt. Just drove off. That was it. Nothing. And he knew what had happened. Mm. So I went to hospital Um, I was in a brace on crutches for two or three weeks, I believe. Nothing was ever done. No questions were ever asked. Those kids weren't spoken to. I mean, nothing. And mum was obviously like, "What? (laughs) Like, how? How is that okay to let these kids away with this?" And as much as she tried to get them to, you know, have a word with these kids, Mm. it was nothing. So but life carried on, and I just, again, I got back to being friends with Anissa, because that was the pattern, um, the next, like, major thing that I can remember was swimming lessons started, and so we used to walk down to the swimming put po- this public swimming pool, um, as a group, because it was about a 10-minute walk, and that was fine, got there, um, Mam came with us on our first ever try because I'd never been swimming before and I was really like, oh shit. Mam was one of the parents accompanying and she was trying to get me in really hard and I wouldn't go in and she turned her head for a minute and just jumped. Just jumped in, went went for it. And mm. she was so happy. She was so like, well done. Like mm. I, I felt amazing. So the next time we went swimming, just got straight in there, having the time of my life. And um, we had a coach as well, he was teaching us stuff, and then we got a free kind of ten minutes at the end to play. Mm. So as I was playing in the lower end, um, I was kind of sat down in the water, because it was obviously very shallow, and Anissa was talking to one of the boys in the class who was what would be known as kind of a nerd, like mm. no one really spoke to him. And then all of a sudden she started speaking to him. I remember looking over and thinking, oh, that's weird, um, and ignored it. And then she was talking to him, laughing, just carried on ignoring just playing with someone else can't remember and next thing I know he jumps in on top of me on top of my leg and guess who's in braces and crutches again (laughs) it was just and I know I know looking back like even I can see her face and her kind of looking at me and I was like okay I now I know like she did ask him to like jump in on top of me I can't assume that she knew what the consequence of that would be but anyway I was in brace and uh, crutches for a bit more um, the next big thing was we went skiing, when in France. Yeah, skiing. Yeah, so we all went skiing as a school trip, and at the time, my life—I actually found out I'm really good at skiing. Good, brilliant, <laughs> class, great fun. Um, oh, it's deadly, and we were having a great time. We did. Um, we went to this factory. We got to learn how to make cheese. It was brilliant. The last night, we had a disco. It was like a farewell disco. So, the plan was we'd have this disco in the morning, we're going skiing, and then at some point late afternoon, we'll start heading back. At the disco, I was dancing with Anissa and a few other girls, can't remember. And one of them pushed me, and as they pushed, there was a chair behind me. As they pushed me back onto the chair, Anissa pulled the chair from behind me, and I snapped my wrist. i spent the last day with my teacher while they were all off skiing we had to find a doctor in the mountains and we ended up in what honestly looking back felt like a house like it was such a strange experience and when they did an x-ray it was like severely broken um so i was in a cast for ages and i remember when they went back to look at my cast when we got home they were like oh yeah no like she's not coming at this for a while like so i can't even remember how long i was in that for um that's
0: terrifying. Yeah. That is absolutely terrifying. Yes, that's three
1: like hospital visits. Um, all caused by this girl. Like mm. um So went home, Mam-, Mam got me off the bus. She's like, What the fuck? Mm. <laughs> what happened here? Um obviously she knew like it was broken. I don't think she realised like how broken it was. Um Then I broke my wrist again in between that, but that was Actually, my own fault At that time. I was rollerblading, surprise, mm. and fell back. But um, that was broken again, so I've got a very sensitive wrist now. Mm. <laughs> um, what's the next thing? Facebook. That's how we get into this. Facebook was the next thing. Oh, sorry, no. One of the times when I was on crutches and a brace, I was in Anissa's house, and she invited this other girl over who hated me, and I didn't realize she invited this girl over. And they were spraying perfume like in my face, like just really, like it was getting in my eyes, and I had to leave. But her bedroom was upstairs, and the stairs down were like really narrow. I was on crutches, so I was trying to crutch my way, like so, trying to run on crutches basically down stairs. And I went flying on my crutch, crushed my arm behind myself, and I had to get the fire department out. Like it was really bad, really, really bad. Another bad one. Uh, I was in a brace, I think, my neck brace. From that and her one. parents, like, oblivious. Oh, she's an angel. Absolute angel. She had a mother uh, and a stepdad. And the stepdad kind of just stayed out of her way kind of Mm. thing. You know, it was very... He didn't really know where he stood. But the mother was just oblivious to what she was doing to me. But if she stepped out of line... And I can kind of see where the aggressiveness came from. If she stepped out of line, like, she'd get hit. Mm. So I have a little bit of sympathy in that sense. You know, I can see where it stemmed from. Um, But yeah, her parents were oblivious to everything. Like, she was just an angel in regards to everything else in life. Um, So yeah, Facebook. Um, Anissa was on Facebook and was convincing me to make a Facebook account. And this was when Facebook was, like, brand new to the Mm. scene. Like, I don't even think there was an app for it yet. Like, it was just, you went online and searched Facebook. Um, So... She was convincing me to do it, and I did. I set one up. They had like a computer room in her house, um. So went into this like little tiny, it's like a box room with the computer in it. Everyone used it, and set up this account. When I was doing that, obviously she set it up for me, so she saw the password, the email, the whole lot. and it. It was fine for the first but I was posting pictures of lollipops and thinking I was really like cool and converse, that Mm. kind of a era. And um she at some point obviously went in and messaged everyone I knew saying horrible things. Um all my friends list, so obviously these people saw that it was me when it wasn't, I started posting things from my page saying horrible things about myself, if you know what I mean um like what fat ugly hate certain people should be tagging people just horrible things so I never got that account back so I had to make up a new one and when I did I decided to go looking online for friends seeing as real life was going so well for me um and in France there was a big thing of like you join these groups where a lot of different uh, teenagers are on so it's it so it's um like the squatting area for teenagers so you would post in you might post a picture of yourself and say you know your age your name and want to have a chat basically and most of the conversations i got from that were genuine like kids just look bored online at night and just want to have a chat um i made one lad who stuck around he was a friend um and i got on really well with him actually um So yeah, I thought, oh, these groups are great. They're really friendly, you know. And then I made a post one day um, and um, an account messaged me claiming to be another young male teenager, just wanting to have a chat, um, which turned into kind of a relationship, I suppose. Looking back, it was kind of like borderline, like girlfriend, boyfriend kind of a thing. Um, very genuine chats, he'd message me every day asking how I am, you know, what's going on in life and he seemed to be the only person that really cares, um, obviously by my family and we were talking for a few weeks, borderline months um, then he asked me for some naked photos and I said no, I said no multiple times and he insisted and he said, look, if you don't send me them, basically, I'm disappearing. And I thought, shit, well, you're the only person that really cares about me right now. So go on then. And sent pictures. And from that point on, the minute, sorry, no, the minute I sent the pictures, it was kind of, oh, you look great, thank you. And I was like, this is never happening again. Don't ask ever again. Um, he's like, Yeah, 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 no problem. Like, you look amazing. You're gorgeous, this, that and the other. And then it was like the next day or so, could have been two or three days, I got a message from a different account saying that, so the original account's name was um, Stephen Nito. Um, And when you, so I got a different account, which was like a similar name to it though, saying that it was Stephen's brother. And when I seen the name, I was like, oh, maybe it is, because it sounds you know, similar yeah. enough. How old were you? At that point, I was... When we first started talking, I was, like, going on 11. This could have been a bit of a blur, like, fresh 11. Like, okay. brand new 11-year-old. Um, so... The ca- brother. Yeah, the brother. So he texted me saying that Stephen had passed away. And that he's been on Stephen's account and he's seen all the pictures, the two or three pictures, whatever it was, uh, full body. And he said he's seen them. And if I don't send him more, he's going to post them everywhere and post them to my family and whatever else. And shit, fuck. And I knew it was wrong. I'd been told so many times by my mom, you know, the classic, well, all mothers tell the kids
0: don't speak to strangers online. Don't do it, don't. Na-na-na-na. The nagging, isn't <laughs> that what it is? Um. How did you feel when you were told that he passed away? Was that a concern for you, or was it just immediate? The photos. It
1: was all in one message, so I think, I think subconsciously I kind of twigged what was going on. Um, I didn't really feel a lot, though. No one's ever actually asked me that. I didn't. I don't think I felt like sad about it. I I, I do think subconsciously I kind of knew what was going on. So you just went, I'm in trouble. Yeah, it was. It, I I basically ignored that this. Uh, Other lad was dead. I just was like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I spent two and a half, three years just at his mercy, doing whatever he wanted. Um, So in those three years, it was videos, pictures, Skype calls. It moved on to Snapchat as well, because obviously Snapchat all disappears, so there's no
0: evidence. Um, Okay, Mike, let's take a cup of tea because yeah. I've made a cup of tea <laughs> and you haven't even drank it and I'm re- I we're always really conscious of that it's a lot. so he comes on so let, we break this in so he comes on and he says I want this so then you're in trouble so you start then getting more and deeper and deeper and deeper in trouble Yeah, with this situation and it went on for three years
1: two and a half to three years uh,
0: do you want to tell me a little bit about uh, what was going
1: on no problem Um, so it was just yeah, pictures, videos. It was Skype calls. So with the Skype calls, it was the strangest thing. He he would obviously have me on the video doing what he wanted, um, and he would just be sat there in the camera. Like it was a pink wall, like salmon kind of pink, but the lights wouldn't be on. It would just be there, the light off the off the off the computer, computer, um, the light off the computer. And he'd just be lying there in bed, just watching. And he'd just be staring. That Could was you see though. his face? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is embedded. Um, he had these strange, like, really rectangular black glasses. And his lips, I will never forget his lips. There's a name for these lips. And i have seen it once on Facebook, what the name was, and then I forgot about the name. But he had such specific lips. Um, and yeah, he just stayed How handsome. old was he? He claimed to be around my age. Looking back at the time maybe he was an adult, like definitely an adult, like at least twenty. At least. Um could have been mid twenties, to be honest. Um one time the door opened. Someone opened his door on his end, and I remember him fucking the computer over very quickly. Um and then like I was kind of like, oh, okay, maybe he's been caught mm. <laughs> and like, Thirty seconds later, we turn it back over. I'm just because he never spoke. He never spoke. It was um he live text on Skype, and you just tell me to carry on, and that was it. And I was like, hey, who was that? No one. Don't worry about it. Okay, that was it.
0: And when you're doing all these and having these calls, is this a home in in your house in France?
1: Yeah. So the house in France was an old house. It was like I couldn't you the year, but it was old. Mm-hmm. And the door handles were the old, very old-fashioned door handles where it was, um, they were two kind of porcelain round Trist. knobs, mm. yeah. And in the middle, it was just a square bar and that and a pin holding them together. Mm. I'd learned how to take that pin out so I could take the door handle off. I literally dismantled the door handle so that no one could come into the room. But I could close it and open it as I please from the inside and mam would keep fixing this door handle thinking god this keeps breaking she kept fixing it and kept breaking um and that was kind of mam's kind of red flag as well she was like how how does this keep breaking all the time and she eventually realized that I was doing it um took a while but yeah so I was yeah I was at home I had um I had a bed a bunk bed with the desks underneath those really cool ones at the time and yeah just again did anything and everything so the Skype calls weren't too often like I'd say maybe once every fortnight um but Snapchat was every day every single day. tell me about that um I'd literally wake up I would wake up every day to like a text um and it'd be multiple times throughout the day of like take this picture or do this video or whatever which way he wanted it um and I would I'd just do it and then it was so I became so numb to it where it was like oh yeah it was like it was like brushing my teeth it was just like yeah no bother and then I just put the phone down and get on with my day and that was it was literally just like brushing your teeth in the morning um and then it'd be sometimes it'd be throughout the day Uh, if it was weekend and I wasn't in school he was very aware of that and asked me multiple times throughout that um if I was in school he wouldn't really bother me too much um, and I used to lie to him saying that I was spending time with my family or like we we're watching a movie or something even if I said that he'd be like go to the bathroom like he'd come up with a answer to everything so quickly um, and the
0: threats were always there were they
1: yeah so at one point I was like how how real can this be you know and for some reason I never decided to go onto his account I never looked at his Facebook page and when I did the first image which was very recent was a woman fully exposed and he had tagged people. And I looked at the tag people. They all had the same last name. It was all her family. He had, had all her family in it. And she was exposed. And I thought, oh, fuck. He's not joking. Like, he's, he's mm. serious. And that just put the fear of God into me. Like, I hid everything so well. And I did hide it so well, even looking back, because no one realised for two and a half to three years. Um, during that time, I started to self-harm Um I became very cold. I was a nightmare child. I started to not wash, like I'd refuse to take a shower. I got around greasy hair. Like my personal hygiene was disgusting.
0: Um and Do you think you were doing that to like make yourself unattractive to him, maybe or?
1: I honestly don't know.
0: I can't I can't even
1: tell you about the psychology behind it. Like I used to be known in the family as the soap dodger. My granny and, gran- like, my grandparents called me a soap dodger because it was a thing. that I just wouldn't take care of myself. Um, my room was a mess all the time. I was a nightmare at home. Um, my parents didn't know what to do with me. Like, they were at last loss. They didn't know what was going on. They thought it was just the bullying because the bullying was still going on as well behind all of this. Um, so they just thought it was that. And put it all down to that and they didn't know what to do because obviously the french teachers weren't helping so from their perspective they were trapped because it was all the bullying when in reality obviously those other things going on literally behind a locked door um i was very protective at one point i got a phone and the protectiveness over that phone my god i would delete the app if anyone ever tried to like go on my phone i had it passcode no one was ever allowed to know the <laughs> Yeah, it was just an absolute, it was just, looking back I was actually quite smart (laughs) in how I went about
0: it. Um, And I think most people are because I think they have to be because they're so terrorised that they just don't want this. All I think was
1: if my man sees this, like what, what is she going to think of me? Mm. I was so embarrassed um, and just terrified of what would happen. So I also started smoking, um, hanging around with very much so the wrong crowd. Um, I remember one time my sister, me and my sister were having an argument or something, she grabbed my phone and I went ballistic, like ballistic. I jumped, there was like a courtyard outside one of our windows, I jumped through the window to get to her, um, tackled her, like screamed and shouted, and like crying as I'm screaming. Terror, absolute terror. Um, got a new phone at one point and whatever happened something went on and dad again blamed it on the phone so he picked up my phone he smashed it on the floor threw it he was so frustrated and angry not on me but the situation and he smashed my phone on the floor and I bawled I was like inconsolable because I was like like how am I gonna have him here because although I had my laptop that was good for when I'm at home but if I don't respond Mm. I get the threats Mm. so terror so I managed to convince I was very manipulative very manipulative at the time and I managed to manipulate my mom to get me a new phone within two days which was great <laughs> shouldn't oh just horrible um
0: isn't that incredible that you you do kind of then like become so manipulative to get this to get the phone to be able to make contact with him because the terror and this is something we have to be really clear about as well. This didn't start on a mobile phone. No. This started on a laptop. And that's where we came from. Mm-hmm. It's not always phones.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's like people give their kids iPads nowadays. Mm-hmm. You might think you have all these. Because I had locks on the phone mm-hmm. also. Like, I should probably say that. My mum did put parental locks on um, the computer that I got. Because I told her, again, manipulation. Got a laptop out of it. Um I told her, you know, I need it for homework and all this shite I was going on about it for ages. But she put parental locks on it and I got them all off. You know, I think kids nowadays are so much smarter than that when it comes to technology. Like, it's not that hard. Um, it, you know, when you hand a child a tablet from the age of two or three just so they can watch kids' YouTube, you're also handing them a learning tool of how to learn to go around these things and how to use a tablet and where the app store is on that tablet and where's all these different things and where's the settings. And then they end up going through the settings and figuring things out. You know, Mm. it's just... Kids are too smart for (laughs) their own good,
0: And that's really scary because that is, like, exactly that. We do show them at the settings. Mm. We do show them. Oh, how do we get on the Wi-Fi and they go straight into settings and pick...
1: When kids want these games online, or
0: whatever it is, or life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to
0: bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: Want to buy a song on their iPad or whatever? When you put in that code, because you don't have to put in a code or a password. Mm a lot of parents just do it in front of the kid or they just tell them because they can't be arsed doing it right now so they just tell them passcode you've just given that child the password to taking off all parental controls and they don't even have to try they just put in the password now you've just, you've just given them that so you're contradicting what, you've, what you're trying to do um, and even with the apps I don't think parents look into any apps enough you know there's Roblox isn't it I think yes. there's something like that mm. one of those games for the kids play you can chat to anyone online you know, there's obviously men on there or, you know, women, not all men Um, that are not on there to play games, they're on there to find these young kids Um, I think there's a lot more homework that needs to go into how apps function and who has access to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same with these cameras that you have in, in homes, as much as they are great and they're very handy to have there are so many videos online of those cameras being hacked and finding out that kids have been being watched for weeks mm-hmm. on end, so you know, I think um, definitely a lot more homework needs to be done on things before you hand your child the device and teach them how to use
0: mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And you know, Paul's IT, like Paul is IT and um, Amelia has Instagram, Amelia's 13 and she's Instagram and she's Snapchat. And we found out that she had five Instagram accounts and she had four Snapchat accounts. Yeah. And Paul is like IT and like, We've shut it down His Snapchat. is not a, f- a favourite, but my nieces are. So they were like watching it. And when we did a challenge one day, we were here over Christmas having dinner. And my niece said to her, give me your phone. And she went into her Snapchat to have a look like spot check on it. And she's like, why can't I see you? And Emilia started laughing. And she was like, I have you all blocked. She's like, I have. And she was like, and my niece, like she's 20 odd. And she was like, what? She's like, you have me blocked. And she's like, I have you all Blocked, yeah. and Paul and I were here sitting here like, yeah, my niece found it funny and taught you know, very clever. But me and Paul were sitting here going, "What the fuck?
1: Why do you need me blocked?"
0: Yeah, yeah. and I was like, "Do not do that." Like, I was like, "Do not." We're not on Snapchat, and she is, and she, she, my niece watches her now. Um, but I was like, "Jesus Christ, why Like, and like again, again, I know sometimes we can say we're not, we're not clued in. Paul is totally clued into it, totally. Yeah, yeah. and we're still in that situation we still found ourselves in that situation which is scary so then talk to me then about the next step so at what point does your mom and dad realize this is going on
1: so while this is going on I obviously as I said I was um self-harming and they brought me to a psychiatrist who immediately when she found out that I was self-harming and I was cutting myself she said you need to bring her to hospital today like Two days, she needs to be admitted, and Mum and Dad were like, "I thought this was like a just a regular session, kind of a thing." Mm-hmm. They, you know, it was the first time going to anything like this, and they just thought it was a regular standard session. And they were, Mum was like, "What do you mean I have to bring her? Like, you need to bring her in now." So she brought me to hospital, and they put me in the psychiatric ward, and I was there, I think, for a week or two while they were assessing me, and the doctor they gave me was the most useless man even looking back I don't know how he ever got any kind of a qualification he was used and he just he just sit there he just he wouldn't even ask questions um so I was very quickly admitted uh sorry I was very quickly um yeah what's that word no discharged discharged yeah um I was very quickly discharged and I actually made friends on the ward as well like you know there was a in France obviously I think it's started up again, everyone smokes. There was smoke and air for us all at eleven years of age. Twelve maybe. I might have been twelve at that point. Um but yeah there was smoke and air, so we always really go out and smoke and thought it was great. We were given a lighter as well on a psychiatric ward oh, and we still had our phones as well. That's probably very important. We were all still allowed our phones in a psychiatric unit. Um and there was a school, which was good. Um but anyway I was very quickly discharged and based just told to go home and Right out, kind of a thing. Um, I don't know what my parents were told from their point of view. I've actually never asked, so that was fine. Then it just carries on. Obviously, nothing has changed. It carries on. It it was happening in the hospital as well. Like when I say every day, I remember my birthday. I remember Christmas days being told to go and so it was happening in the hospital and went home, carried on again, told to go to hospital did it all again that was fine then the third time it got very severe and I got to a point of like breaking point like I was really like very done with all this I couldn't take it anymore um you know besides being awful to my family and in the house like I was a nightmare um what I was doing to myself was just horrible like you know, your biology at that age isn't made for a lot. And I was being made to do a lot to it. So it was brutal, brutal. Um So I went and... Sorry, I never got to ask me train of thought there. Yeah, so it was getting a lot. And my parents, this was Christmas... I can't remember the year. That's okay. But I was freshly 13 because on my 13th birthday my mom got me um some really cool highlighter pink air forces which were just sick air max sorry they were really in at the time um so it was that christmas i was fresh fresh 13 no it was actually three months 13 sorry um we were invited up to my dad's friend's house who lived in france as well uh for new year's so this friend dad's dad grew up with him in ashburn they've been friends forever um and he actually worked for interpol specifically in kind of pedophile area which was just Mm -hmm. wow i know but during this time they'd actually been speaking to him and i didn't know this they were actually speaking to him kind of being like you know like what's going on and he did try to tell them you know take the phone away like take all this i was again manipulative psychopathic at the time i wasn't allowing anything like that to happen i give them a harder time without my stuff for obvious reasons now um so when we went to new year's his house was very structured the wi-fi he had it up the wi-fi would turn off at a certain time so whether they had their phones or not they weren't online mm-hmm. and at that time there was very little you could do on a phone without being online mm-hmm. and you have all these apps that you can play without it but at the time you couldn't really um and it would turn back on at a certain time and he had a computer that was on the hall so anyone who walked up the stairs could see exactly what you were doing and it was very everything was out and open um so we got there and we had a great time obviously again during all of this it was still going on and he so what I now know is he actually told my parents when they arrived I'm going to keep an eye on her for the next few days I'm gonna see what she's like and we'll talk about it after so that's what they did we carried on and meanwhile he was Watching me this whole time. And kind of trying to suss me out. Um, on the last day. My parents asked. Or. Mick. Mick is the family friend. Who worked for part at the time. Mick asked his wife to take all the kids. Down to the village. Uh, to the bakery. And that's what she did. And Mick sat me down with my parents. And pulled up his computer. Of a video. A young Canadian girl called Amanda Todd. Um, and she was a girl who went through something very very similar to what was going on to me at the time and she was the first person I ever heard of even getting anywhere close to like what I was going through now sadly she took her life um she committed suicide uh, quite stupid I think she was 15 at the time um but when I seen this video the whole time I was sat on the table like that and I was watching it. And mom and dad were like, Orla, oh, watch it. Like You're not even watching it. And Mick was like, oh no, she is. And he could see it in my eyes. like I was watching that. Um, And he turned around. And he said something to me. I can't remember what it was. Uh, we, yeah, he did. He said to me, this will happen to you. No, this is happening to you. This is happening to you right now. And mom and dad like, were like, what? What do you mean? And then he said very quickly, he was like, or it can happen, it will happen, as in a future tense, and I was like, oh, okay, he doesn't know, he doesn't know, <laughs> so that put, that hit me, it really hit home, I went home, we all went home, and Mam was doing, mum was unpacking the bags from being away, dad went to golf, and Mam had asked me to clean my room, because tip as usual, so went to clean the room, as I was cleaning No, sorry, I never actually ended up cleaning the room. I I took the door handle off again. And I locked myself in. Mum tried to get in. She couldn't get in. At this point, she realised that if she uses a pair of scissors, she can work work the door open. So me and Mum had a huge argument. And Dad came home and Mum told him to take the door off my bedroom. So he literally took the door off the hinges. um, And walked away with it. And I was in hysterics. So... That was just another thing of like. After having like a twenty minute argument with my mother, clearly, you know, this is this is. I'm not the only person that's gone through this. And in my head, it was like, well, she she killed herself, and that's that's how I go about this. So I had an ensuite at the time. I went into the ensuite. I took a lot of medication. I'd been collecting medication at the time, and um, took a lot of pills and cut my wrists again. When I cut my wrist this time, I actually went a lot deeper than ever before, and I kind of scared myself. Like blood was literally dripping off my fingers onto the, into the sink, and I screamed. And when I screamed, my sister was the first person to walk in and see me like that. So, Mum grabbed me, got me downstairs to the kitchen, wrapped me up, packed a bag, and started heading to the hospital again. She said to me on the way to the hospital. If you don't tell me what's really going on, we're not taking you out. You are staying here. Like, I'm not taking you out until you tell us what's going on. So I just looked at her and I just said, Amanda Todd. And she's like, like, everything just clicked for her. The bomb had dropped. Like, it was a big realisation for her. And she pulled over. I was in hysterics. She was in hysterics, just comforting me, saying, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. I told her I took a lot of medication. And she was like, "Get back in the fucking care. <laughs> you know. We need to get into hospital." Um, so I was in hospital. I was admitted. I was on a drip and all this stuff, just keeping. I think I got sick as well. Threw them all up anyway. Mum, the first like twenty four hours was like making sure that I was okay because obviously what I'd done. Then I was put back onto the psychiatric unit for the third or fourth time, and she had told them what had been going on. What was really going on? I'm this stupid because every time I got the same doctor because obviously he, he worked with me, he was just so stupid. I don't even think he asked me. But I can't even remember. Um, but if he did, it was like really stupid questions, like obvious answers kind of questions. Mum was trying to go to the guards, and she was told by somebody in the hospital there was an interview room in the hospital. This obviously they wanted this to be like as fresh as possible there was an interview room in the hospital where I can go down with my mom and the guards will come and do an interview here so that was what mom wanted to do then like the next day she was told, no there's no such room here like, right okay she was told to drive to another city with me to go and see a specialized unit thing when we got there it was like the most back alley place like so sketchy I I thought like hardly this is like you know a police center, um, and went in and we were met by this female, this female like guard person and a male and they pulled us into a room and were kind of like you know taking account of what happened. I told them what had been going on. And they looked up his page they are men on Facebook they had a they had this anonymous page that they could do this type of stuff. They went onto his page when we went through the friends list, not one male on his friends list. They were all young girls. And I was like, shit, never even looked at that either. Um, They never took our names, our numbers, nothing. They told me that I would have to meet up with him, this Stephen lad. I'd have to meet up with him if they ever want to catch him. And I was like, am I really hearing this? Like, is this what's actually being said right now? So we went back to hospital. Mum kind of realised at that point, oh, sorry, she was told she has to go through the proper channels and make a police report in our local town, te- in our own, it's like it was a village. Mum was like, I really don't want to do that because yeah, everyone knows everyone in this place. And Mam owned a business in the village at the time. It was a very popular business. So talk of the town kind of a thing. And, you know, we didn't know what we were doing at this point. So it was kind of like, how long Could is this going to affect us, affect us long term? So she was told you have to do it. Otherwise, this isn't going to work. So she went and done that. And when she did, she ran into that Hugo lad, that young boy, his mother, him and his mother making a police report about bullying. Mam lost it. And this France as well. Mam hasn't got very good French, so she lost it in this broken French. It just went ballistic and was like, this is all your fault. You know, whatever. The guard, the local guard came... I was discharged somewhere along the line. The local guard came to our house to do a report, and he told me that it was basically my fault. Like he, he practically said the words, "It's your fault." Mom went. Mom went ballistic and said, kind of ran to him and went mad. And eventually, he apologized, um, for blaming me. Then. This is where it becomes like everything. This all happened within like five days. mom in the meantime was in contact with people in Wales trying to figure out how to move us. Within five days, we shut down her her very successful business in France, packed up the house and ran. We literally left the country and ran. Um, she picked me up from the hospital. We went home, We went home to finish up packing our stuff, took the ferry, and we were in Wales the next day don't even think it was five days that this all went on because she realized very quickly she wasn't getting any help here like that was not going to happen so went to wales and got in touch with social services over there i believe it was uh because needed help we needed to get me better we needed to hopefully find some legal advice and whatever else and social services put me and my sisters on an at-risk list and blame my parents, and we had to go to court, like this little court meeting thing. The first judge was first head of this thing. Ta- I don't sorry from judge. I don't know who she was, but she the first one decided to keep us on it. The sec when we went to this meeting, and the second one said, "Why are they even on this? This is ridiculous." She was like, she couldn't understand how we'd even been put on there in the first place.
0: And isn't this like again? The initial thing, and I know this was France and Wales and we'll talk about everything else. Um, the initial thing you want to do is report it, get help. And I do see sometimes on social media, people say, oh, be careful because it's too slow and be careful, your kids will be taken off. You're careful. With this, And these are horrific it's things. Blame. Yeah, it shouldn't. It shouldn't happen. Like the blame should be only on the perpetrator and that's it and nobody else because you have got that fear of going if i report this and it's also with i think a lot of sexual violence cases um, or a sexual assault or all those cases that we're just afraid to report it because what if you know my child gets taken off me backfires yeah exactly what if it backfires it's so scary
1: it is terrifying and you know at the time we were scared you know we didn't know we knew we were on this list but we didn't realize we didn't know what could happen. We didn't know if this because we had an absolutely like crazy social worker who used to come by the house like she was insane, um very disrespectful woman, and she used to come over and like it. She was it, I kind of just kept thinking like any minute now she's going to turn around and be like well you can't stay here you know it was, it was scary. Um, but anyway, this second person decided to say, uh, what are you that? This doesn't need to be happening." goodbye best of luck to you that was that we got in touch with cams over there and a few other ser- mental health services and basically got hit with a wall there as well when i went to cams i made a connection with one lady who was so good and made a connection with her and i was very happy talking to her i was very comfortable talking to her in the meantime i had started self-harming again and when i told my mum i had been she obviously told cams again which knocked me up to this other level, kind of, to a place called Kit. It's like a step above cams, basics, I don't know. Um, And they took that one woman that I liked away from me, and I never saw her again. And I was like, you are joking me. So, eventually, during all of this, mum got us phones again. Um, Because every... like France is so different, Everyone in Wales had, like, iPhones. And they were all watching Zoella and all these YouTubers. And that that wasn't a thing in France. Like, you know, you didn't really care if you had an iPhone or a Blackberry. You know, if you had an iPhone, great, but whatever. All these kids had, like, the iPhone 5C. Um, so, mom we were very... We felt very left out. So, mom went and got us phones. And she was very, very strict with me and my phone. And when I downloaded... I think it was Skype. I downloaded it with the in- no intention of ever mm. going back down that road ever again because no, um, it logged me in automatically. And when he saw that I was active, he messaged me, it was like within two minutes of that being back, he texted me and it's like, "Where have you been? I better come back, you know. Send these pictures back and whatever." So I told mum straight away. Reported it and got rid of Skype altogether and I think I think me telling mom was kind of like okay I can trust her again mm. kind of a thing um and from there it was kind of look my mental health wasn't good like it wasn't it wasn't what it should be at that age but it was better I wasn't suicidal anymore I was on the odd time self-harming um but it was ups and downs and Made a few friends in Wales, um, got a bit happy, the girls were very settled, Mum made another business, <laughs> she likes making business by the way, um, yeah everything was fine but then back here my granddad was very unwell and he was living at home alone in Ashburn and my dad's siblings were having to stay in the house whenever they could which was like every weekend they might have somebody there. Um, but what had happened was my granddad had a very serious incident happen and he needs someone to live with him full time. They were like, well, we're renting here, you know, life could be better, so let's go back. So we moved back to Ireland, um, which at first was good, everything was fine. You know, I, got, I actually settled in school quite well, um, so did the girls, we all got our own rooms, everything was pretty good. Um, until I got a new phone and when I got a new phone oh sorry we were told um we were told by no actually sorry this happened first sorry so got a new phone again Skype logged me in to this account which I thought I'd gotten rid of and he said he still had everything and this is years later this is like three years later he said he still has every image every video everything that I sent him like on messenger or Skype he had everything in a file apparently and I was like Fuck you, yeah, cunt. Mm. <laughs> Fuck you. And at this point, I was I had a bit more balls on me, and I was like, send them then. Do oh, well, I? I couldn't give a shit. Like, um, turns out I didn't give a shit. And I actually started shitting my pants mm. <laughs> and went straight up to tell my mum and went straight to the Garda station, which was two minutes up the road. They told me that because it hadn't happened in Ireland, they can't do anything outside their jurisdiction. It's well, that has happened in Ireland, and they were like, what? I said, uh, when we came because I over obviously we had family here, so when yeah. I, when we came back for holidays, it didn't stop, you know it kept going, um so it has parts of it did happen, and they're like, okay, right, but because of how little happened, basically I can report it, but it would sit in a box is essentially what they said, and my thought was, if that sits in a box in an office, I'm going to be wondering every day, am I getting a call today about that box or am I waiting 20 years here? Like, what, what are we looking at? Um, so I decided not to go down the... Sorry, my nose is so itchy right okay. now. Um, I decided not to go down that route. When I went home with man there, I was like, whatever happened to him? Like, you know, because no one contacted us legally about this. So I rang the police in France, our local station, and I said, did you, like, ever find him? Uh, I don't know where he is. They said they kind of tracked him in France. So I originally thought he was from Belgium. Mm. They said he was from France. Someone else said he was in Canada. It was just an a- no one could even wow. no one could even tell me where he was in the world like whether, is he in France where it happened? Like surely you can tell me from an IP address quite quickly mm. what's going on. My sister was going was um had this mean girl in her class at one point and this mean girl logged into her account and was saying vile things to about my sister to other people, kind of similar to what happened to me, I said, well, fuck that, and I downloaded an app, and found the IP address, no problem, the IP address matched a girl's address, who's who's an absolute bitch, and turned out it was her in the end, so I was like, how can I do that, so I did that in five minutes, with an app, but you can't, they wouldn't even give me the IP address, or anything like that, of any information as to where he was, I didn't know how to find his IP address at the time, because Oh, just an absolute disaster. They couldn't tell me where he was. So, gone with life. And that was kind of... Yeah, end of that. I log- I went on to Facebook uh, about two years later to find out he has a kid. He has a child with a girl. I think he is in France as well. I don't know. I still don't know.
0: You don't know? And nothing no. was ever done about him. Nothing. nothing. And as you said, his friends list was full of girls and therefore you were probably more than likely not his only victim i'd say he probably could have had hundreds Mm -hmm. oh my god it is so scary and again this did not start with a phone it started with facebook with skype and absolutely terrorizing terrorizing it's terrifying
1: oh gotcha horrible really really scary
0: um when did you start turn the corner for yourself with your mental health
1: when when I was in Ireland and I was happier at some point there I had a bit of a, a bright break, a breakdown and um, I think everyone just everything just came too much It kind of all really hit me um and I decided to try and take my own life again and man, put me in a mental institution here put me like she was advised I know <laughs> it sounds really know. bad like she locked the door behind yeah. herself um but it was the best thing that ever happened. It was amazing. The staff were absolutely incredible here. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I'd love to even just email them and say, thank you, you know, you did a great job. But they were just absolutely incredible. Like, the work that they do is next to none, and they really, they cared, especially the nurses, like, my God. Um, I made friends in there that I'm still talking to today, you know, they brilliant. But when we left, and this is Mam's point a lot, is they didn't tell us what to do next. They didn't say, you know, go see this person or anything like that. So Mam decided to do some real research and get deep into it. And she found this amazing psychiatrist in Ashburn who worked with me for basically a year. And because at this point there was a lot of guilt and self blaming and a lot of different emotions. And she worked with me for so long and eventually I got to a point where I was like, okay, great, lovely, life's good, everything's fine. But um, during that time though, from what had happened, I decided it would be a great idea to go into a few toxic relationships. Um, And I put myself in not so good situations. Um, Yeah, just not great. And then every every relationship I've had, since that has been a disaster. Like, whether it's verbal abuse, any kind of everything. It was horrible, so toxic, petty relationships um, that were, yeah, absolute disaster. And then eventually I found my current partner, who I've been with
0: for four years. Mm. She's amazing, so... Yeah, she keeps you happy. Well, she does. And isn't it like that, with a lot of things, like i say paul saved me you know like because when i i i had um anorexia when i was younger so but i didn't they, i went to a psychiatrist he said she's too young what the hell is she doing here i was expecting a woman to walk in and that was it and i was told basically just eat you'd be grand if you just eat you know um that easy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah and for me it was just like paul when i met paul paul saved my. paul's family saved my life i don't know how but they did but now, like, as a 43-year-old woman, I'm very grateful for then. But I've saved myself now. Like, yeah. I'm saved, and I'm still continuing to save myself because we are um, resilient because of things that we put, put ourselves through or somebody else has put us through. Um, but it is really interesting to me that, and even if you move on from those, and me and Paula stay together, but like, if you move on, it's always that you say, you know what, I just needed that person at that time in my life percent. but also 100%. Y- you've done major work on yourself and thank god for that
1: yeah i like it was i must have been seeing her like every week for about a year and it, she was just she was incredible she actually well she said the biggest thing for me that i think meant so much to me was she actually pulled up a picture of a brain and she was like see this part this is what's causing that and this is a chemical reaction all these feelings i was having and you know even down to what had happened she was like this is your brain this isn't you know Mm -hmm. you didn't choose to put yourself you didn't choose to the years of aftermath you know that was all consequentially of your brain telling you to do something you probably shouldn't have done yet Mm -hmm. but you did you're in a fight
0: or flight yeah, in your brain
1: literally, yeah yeah, a huge fight or flight thing um but she was absolutely amazing and um she helped me through a lot of those uh there's a, there a girl in England my name tattooed on her like there, I swear to god yeah that's my claim to fame that's my claim. <laughs> um yeah really, why did she do that huh why did she do that do not know Well do you know I was texting her for like a week and she went to a tattoo parlor and got my name tattooed around her collarbone. Okay. Yeah. So crazy people. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of um, bad, bad relationships. And Christmas 2019, I met Erin. Mm-hmm. And she is just... It, she did. Like, she absolutely... Like, when I met her, I was still in that very toxic relationship mindset. Mm-hmm. And the work that girl has done to get me to a point where I'm not just going to shut out and scream... I'm going to sit down and have a conversation yeah. about this stuff yeah um I can look at things now from both sides mm-hmm. whereas before it was like I became very selfish In from what had happened I became such a selfish person and a, still a very fire flight mode mm-hmm. um so yeah I think in many ways Aaron did save me but in
0: a lot of other ways I saved myself yeah yeah you, know? you have to yeah. keep that there as well yeah. and then how i found you was i was a claire Byrne. what was it? it was a news talk i found you on one of them you're on the radio oh, i did a few things. did a few yeah <laughs> and i was like trying to get you because i we were in in a situation that we had a 12 year old because it's gone on a year i think is it I'm trying, I'm trying to grab you down probably six months i'm trying to get you am i i have no I think so I think so and I was just like that I have a 12 year old girl and I need to be aware of these things that can happen but also I think this is so important because so many mummies and daddies out there that really need to see how easy your child can fall into a trap
1: the other thing that I found even you know I've I've done a lot of things now in regards to this but what I found consistently is a bit of a stereotype of what kind of a family this happens to Mm -hmm. and you know as I said I went to private school my parents had very successful businesses. We had a gorgeous we were a beautiful five person family living beautiful lives at the time you know and if you looked at us from the outside, you would think oh they're great look at they're just mm. they're great they 're absolutely fabulous' we financially comfortable and um, doing great in life but it still happened whereas I think there's a bit of a stereotype of like mm neglectful parents this only happens to people who don't pay attention mm-hmm. i was told not to do it i was warned don't speak to strangers you know there's not everyone wants to be your friend and i still did it you know so that's also a huge thing is don't ever think that'll never happen to my child you know my baby's an angel she listens to me or he listens to me
0: because, and then for any mammies that are going to sit their child down to listen to this what do you have a piece of advice for somebody who's asked to take those photos or has gone down that path just tell somebody.
1: You know, I know it's very easy to say because if someone could have said that to me at the time and I never would have, but from somebody who genuinely has been through it and spent years going through it, if I had have told someone from the start, I could have avoided lots of stuff. You know, if you don't think, if you think your parents are going to kick off, tell your friend's parents, tell a teacher, you know, tell, tell a stranger in the street, you know, no one's going to turn you away for being groomed you know because that's what it is it's being groomed and you're being manipulated to do these things realistically against your will so just tell somebody and if you can't I honestly don't know mm-hmm. I and I hate saying that I really hate saying that but from the person that has gone through it even looking back if I'd have watched me saying that now I wouldn't have told anybody mm-hmm. so I, I never have an answer to that really mm-hmm. the best thing I can say is tell someone and if you can't yeah know, ring ring a helpline even mm. you know tell tell somebody anonymously and work with because i know there's um there's a child line mm. you can keep bringing back to the yeah. same person and stuff yeah. so try that maybe sure
0: and on that note we leave it there orla thank you so much for doing this because as i said it's really important that we tell this story to everybody so thank you
1: thank you thank you for having me